0: chapter 2 verse 8 says remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead descended from David this is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal God's word is not chained therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory Here's a trustworthy saying, If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so here we are. Second Timothy This morning we're going to be talking about the gospel as we learn about it here. (coughs) Of course, we can all read the gospels, the fourfold gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But I'm sure many of us know we can also read about the gospel in different ways, like from Paul here in 2 Timothy. This is important for all of us because what Paul does in his letters is situate the gospel within theology to help us understand the gospel even more. In the other Gospels, of course, it's more of a narrative. Well, it's always better when we can understand the Gospel in deeper and deeper ways. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to be focusing on this theme, the same theme of our passage, knowing the Gospel in deeper ways from 2 Timothy, as Paul says it here, and not just with the head understanding the Gospel, but with the heart. And, of course, the Spirit is the one who works that deeper understanding of the gospel in all of us. Okay, so let's get started. I want to say that Paul starts off by making a sermon easy. He, what he does is basically have a three-point gospel, and he ends it with a poem. Three points in a poem. That's a sermon. Paul says in verse 8, This is my gospel. Verse 8 contains three critical factors, you could say. Um, So we're going to get into this. We're going to focus on these three factors. What are they? Factor number one, Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus Christ is what Paul says first. This factor is basically a given. You could say that Jesus Christ is a point all to himself. So that's point number one. Factor number two, Jesus Christ raised from the dead. The next thing he says, Jesus being raised from the dead is critical to Paul's gospel. We'll spend a lot of time on this point. And lastly, point number three, Jesus Christ descended from David. Interesting. Jesus Christ descended from David. This is my gospel. So with these three points, Paul is saying, this is the gospel. So that's what we're looking at this morning. Now, I don't normally preach in such a way where I use three points, etc., so this may be a great experience for all of us. (laughs) Start us off. What I like to do, what we all should do, is learn a little bit about the context of the scripture so we know what's going on. Why are we reading about these three factors to begin with, and why is that important? Well, as it turns out, this letter, 2 Timothy, situates Paul at the end of his life. At this point, Paul's writing, Paul has been imprisoned by the Roman Empire and was now literally in chains for the gospel like a criminal. Verse 9, So Paul is seeking to strengthen and encourage Timothy, for him to work in the church as a leader. So the first thing Paul does here is emphasize the gospel. Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. So Paul breaks down the gospel into these three points, or factors, because they're extremely important points. And since Paul is at the end of his life here, He knows he must pass on these critical factors and continue to declare the good news of Christ through Timothy, as it were. So that, and this is actually pretty neat here, eventually one day through this action of passing on the torch, even all of us today, here right now, know the very gospel of Jesus Christ and we're saved by God through Christ. That's why it's important. Okay, that's a little bit about the context why we're reading this. So now I'm going to go ahead and leap into the points. Point number one Jesus Christ. To start us off on this point, there is actually some sad news. It's a little bit strange thing to say, but there is some sad news. Uh, I believe that today in our American Christianity at large, we have largely lost sight of this factor number one the true person of Jesus who Jesus really was, this is a problem. I have a little story about this. Um, I grew up in the church. I remember growing up, uh, I had a certain friend. He was with me all throughout Sunday school for many, many years. One day we were at a youth group service, and the pastor was talking about how, in the gospel, Pilate placed a sign above Jesus when he was being crucified. You may remember this. He wrote there, King of the Jews. You can read about that in book of john chapter 19 verse 21 well upon hearing this uh, suddenly a look of realization washed over my friend's face as if very lights of eternal truth had suddenly dawned in him for the first time he looked up to me and all of our group of friends and he exclaimed i get it now i just realized something that i never realized before jesus was a jewish person king of the Jews now it all makes sense Jesus was a Jew <laughs> and we actually all thought that this was uh, pretty funny we gave them a hard time about it of course if you read the scripture it is practically common knowledge in the scripture that yes Jesus was and is a Jewish person a descendant of David in fact point number three but we'll get to that later but you know upon reflection I believe people don't actually think about Jesus as he really is in scripture very often instead I think we use our own conception of who we think Jesus is and this is a problem I myself have a confession to make, I wasn't alone in mistaking Jesus who Jesus really was in scripture I thought Jesus was a Caucasian person yes I've Seen the paintings, many paintings, I knew that Jesus was a white man with a nice trimmed beard, trimmed nicer than mine, by the way, of course, and he had blue eyes or blue contact lenses, at least, and he was always wearing, this is what he's always wearing, white robe, blue sash, I'm sure, (laughs) I'm sure you know what I'm talking about here, oh, don't forget the designer sandals, especially if you've seen some of the films (laughs) out there featuring Jesus. This was the picture of Jesus for me. It really was. And I wouldn't be surprised if this was still Jesus for many of us. Well, point number one, Jesus was not white, beautiful, or rich. Jesus was actually a poor, peasant, Jewish person. And, you know, I don't say these things, Scripture doesn't say these things to offend anybody, of course. I've noticed sometimes people can get offended when we start speaking of Jesus as a poor person, but this is really the necessary truth of the gospel. Jesus was poor. Jesus was born in a manger. Luke chapter 2. He was born in a stable, surrounded by farm animals, even from birth. Jesus is not rich. He never became rich. He was never a privileged person. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Paul is saying that this poor peasant man is the one person that Paul, who is also Jewish, by the way, has been beaten, imprisoned and is facing death for, chained like a criminal. Um, And all of this because of point number two, or factor number two. Factor number two tells us that this poor person, remember Jesus, was much more. He was, in fact, the very Son of God, poor though he was. So right now we're going to transition into factor number two. Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Well, first let me tell you something very interesting about celebrating Christ raised from the dead, also known as Easter. In the book titled Storytelling, Imagination, and Faith, the author William J. Bausch writes In the Greek Orthodox tradition of Christianity, the day after Easter was devoted to telling jokes. It was Joke Day. I find that pretty cool. After Easter is Joke Day. Well, the jokes were meant to imitate the cosmic joke that God pulled on Satan in the resurrection. You ever think about it this way? Um, Satan thought he had won at the cross, and he was smug in his victory, smiling to himself, having the last word with the death of Christ. So we thought. But then God raised Jesus from the dead, and life and salvation became the last words, jokes on you, Satan, yeah. because Christ is raised from the dead. Maybe someone will give me an amen. <laughs> Some people are awake. Others, like myself, are high as candy. Um, so this is point number two in verse eight. Jesus Christ raised from the dead. There really is a lot more to it, of course, than Jokes and Paul goes on to explain point number two at great lengths. Right here, what he does is explain it with a trustworthy saying. A trust, anytime we see a trustworthy saying in scripture, we should be looking at this. A trustworthy saying, verses 11 through 13, the end of our passage. Its function is to emphasize point number two Christ raised from the dead. So, we're going to talk about this trustworthy saying. Verse 11, if we died with him, we will also live with him. See how Christ being raised is sort of informing this point already. If we died with him, we will also live with him. There's a resurrection motif. Well, Paul here is, believe it or not, verse 11, actually talking about baptism. Baptism. Baptism is extremely connected to Christ being raised from the dead. In fact, what Paul is saying here is what he also says in the book of Romans. Quote, we were buried with Christ, if we died with him, through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we died with him, we will also live with him. End quote. So that's Romans 6.4 on the screen here. So here in 2 Timothy, Paul is saying what he says in Romans, that baptism, having been buried with Christ under the baptismal water, as it were, and then being raised up out of the grave, out of the water, and into the new resurrection life of Christ, into the life of the church, this is what it means to live for God, or to live with Him. This is what our trustworthy saying is saying. It's not that... Baptism saves us. It's that baptism transforms us by God's grace into the people who live now, presently in the body of Christ, to and for God. So this is a very very important point. Well, as you progress through the saying, they begin to build on each other. The next verse, verse 12, says, If we endure, we will also reign. Verse 12, meaning that even as Christ reigns, now that he has been raised and us too with Him in baptism, so we will reign, if we have the Holy Spirit in us, because then we are living in His, same resurrection, reigning life, even right now. That's the logic. If we live like Christ, being buried with Christ, we will reign like Christ, with Christ. What the text says next, if we disown Him, He will also disown us. Well, it sounds a little frightening, But this is just saying the same thing, only more starkly. If we endure, we will also reign. But if we do not endure, in other words, we disown him, we will not reign. So all of this coming from Christ raised from the dead, point number two. Moving on to verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Meaning that even if we give up on God, if we are struggling and we lose our faith, we are faithless in this journey... God will still be God. Point number two, Christ was raised from the dead. Even if we lose our faith, God will not give up on us. God will never give up on us. In fact, God never gives up. But, God will not force us to love Him. If we do not endure or disown Him, God will not force us to love Him because love is a mysterious thing. Love cannot be forced. God never gives up because Christ was raised from the dead. And God gets the last word. So God can't disown himself. But as Paul says, if we disown him, he will also disown us. So all this is point number two, the trustworthy saying, Jesus Christ raised from the dead. It is a huge point, and it's really too much to talk about, even though I'm up here trying to do it. Um, This is why Paul gives us a trustworthy saying to remember it by. Um, sort of a guide in a saying format encouraging you to go deeper and deeper something of course I encourage okay well we've talked about Jesus Christ we've talked a lot about him raised from the dead and we've come to our last point factor number three Jesus Christ descended from David this is my gospel Paul says let's talk about this Here's a question for us all. Does anybody like to read the genealogies in the Bible? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was just actually sort of talking about this this morning before service. Well, you know, I can actually see in some of your faces that you really do. I can see it. Yep. I, know, I know what you read before you go to sleep. Put the genealogies <laughs> open. You know, father of him, father of him. He begat him, begat him, begat him, begat him. By the way, uh, if you check out 1 Chronicles chapter 1, this is actually a genealogy that goes on for 10 chapters, 10 chapters, 1 Chronicles chapter 1. We always memorize John 3.16, but I don't know why we don't memorize genealogies. (laughs) Well anyways, Jesus Christ, descended from David, is a very important factor that Paul gives us. It really is. But what does it mean? What does it mean? The 100% human Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, of course, was not the son of Joseph, Mary's fiance husband, but rather, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is 100% human, yes, and 100% divine. So, have to ask, what are we talking about Jesus when Paul says, descended from David? What does that mean? A bit of background. In the ancient world of first century Judaism, when Jesus was born in the tradition of the Hebrew people in Old Testament, the firstborn son has all the claims of inheritance to his father's property, or lineage, you could say. You can see this in the parable of the prodigal son, for example. Well, and who was Jesus' father? Well, God, but who was Jesus' Legal father, you could say, here on earth. Well it was Joseph. You can take a look at Matthew chapter one, genealogy. You will find there in Matthew chapter one um, genealogy of Jesus, that Joseph is descended from Abraham and David all the way to being married to Mary, who gave birth to Jesus. So this is the firstborn legal son to not uh, of, say to Joseph. And Mary. Therefore, Jesus inherits the lineage of Abraham and King David. Jesus Christ descended from David. Okay, so this, the point of all this is that Jesus is the one who fulfills the story of Old Testament Israel and King David. He literally inherits the prophecy of God, promise, uh, promising that a descendant of David would rule forever. Very prominent in the Old Testament. Jesus is the one raised from the dead, descended from David, who is truly the coming king. And he is the king, of course, over death. He defeated death by his being raised from the dead by the power of God. We've made it to our three points. I want to begin to come to a close this morning, now that we've covered them, and just mention one thing that I haven't mentioned yet, and it's, it's not a poem. I'll leave that for Paul's trustworthy saying. Paul says that he endures everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory in verse 10. What's Paul talking about here? Who are these elect? Well, the elect are the people who have a saving faith in Christ that God enabled them to have by the power of his Spirit. When Paul's gospel, when the gospel is declared, the gospel of Christ, this communication of the gospel is what God uses to work in the hearts and minds of people to bring them to Christ. That's what Paul is passing along at the end of his life here. The gospel is the power of salvation. It's God's power. And we don't know how the message of the gospel is the tool that the Spirit uses for people to come to God. But it is just what happens. And why Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. The most important thing in this life, in our lives, why Paul is chained up, why he's saying what he's saying, well, it's the gospel. Because it's the power of salvation. And you know, to come to a close this morning, I I just want to say that If you are feeling the Spirit uh, leading you, you know, through this power of the gospel, certainly not my power, certainly not an earthly power, but if the Spirit is working on you, come to Jesus. If we already know the Lord, come even more to Jesus. This is why Paul is doing all of this, saying all this, passing it along, that we too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Let's pray this morning as we close. Father God, thank you for the ways in which...